0: I remember hearing the story of an old preacher who was approached by a very young, zealous believer. And this new believer said to the preacher, he said, you know, I want to be more and more like Jesus. And I want to love just like Jesus loves. And that old preacher said, that's nice, son. But I want you to remember these three things. Jesus had a wilderness and he had a Gethsemane and he had a Judas in his life, right? So as we look at today's text, that in spite of the Judases that are in our lives, in spite of such things, the people people of God are to love like God. And As a matter of fact, the Bible will teach us that you'll know that you're his disciple when you love like Jesus loves. And that's something we're going to be covering today. It's going to be practical, but yet heady. And I think everyone's going to be able to have some practical takeaway. And I think we're all going to grab something that's going to help us be more like Jesus. So uh, with that in view, think about Judas. When you think about Judas, what goes through your mind? Don't say it, but you've got your opinions, don't you? But I want to provide for you some context before I get in to the two verses that I'm going to go through, verse, go through this morning. Um, the context is simply this. The, the verse I'm getting ready to read to you this is the very night that Judas would betray Jesus. How many of you know what it's like to be betrayed? More than a few. Especially, It hurts, especially when you've invested your life into someone. Your love into another person. You know, if you've ever experienced betrayal, and and most everybody has, you you know this, it's not the stab in the back that kills you. What kills you is when you turn around and you see who just stuck you in the back. That's what hurts. The scriptures are going to teach us this morning, that in spite of what Judas did, in spite of what Judas, Judas did to Jesus, the Lord continued to love him until the end. Hey, that ain't hard to do. That that's hard to do. And one would argue and say that's impossible to do unless you are saved and you've got the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. So keep that uh, in your thoughts. Again, Judas, keep that thought about Judas and who he is in your mind's right now and also remember what Jesus did with Judas. He washed his feet. You also know that uh, as they had that Lord as they had that last supper, Jesus had Judas sitting next to him in a place of honor. So we know that he washed his feet, but we also see that he's sitting at a place of honor right there on the Last Supper. And this is going to be Jesus' final yet loving gesture to Judas, even though, once again, he knew that Judas would, in fact, betray him. Now, that's Judas, but there's some other people that are involved in this story, Jesus knew that his disciples would be in for a very difficult time. He knew that difficult times were coming for the disciples, that they would soon face many trials. And as they do face these trials, they will no longer have the benefit of Jesus, at least Jesus' presence, because something's going to be happening to Jesus. Jesus is going to be exiting them after three years, at least the physical Jesus is no longer going to be there. So where was Jesus going? Just in case you don't know, and not everybody grew up in the church. Jesus was going to the cross. Jesus was going back to God. Jesus is about ready to go back to heaven. So context will matter as we get into these verses. And Jesus is going to instruct these disciples. He's going to instruct them further the things that they're going to need to know and how to live in the physical absence of their Lord. Jesus is going to take the opportunity on the night of this last supper, supper and give extended instruction to the disciples on what to do once he goes to heaven. In other words, let me just put on the, you know, put the cookies on the bottom shelf. He's going to tell them exactly what they need to know. He's going to tell them everything they need to know and what to do. And the first thing that Jesus does is give them an example of service to one another. And Jesus spells this out in John 13, 14 through 15, when Jesus begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And what's Jesus doing there? Obviously, this is a beautiful depiction, a beautiful picture of Jesus' selflessness, his sacrificial service to meet the other's needs. That's why he's doing it. He's also noticed that the disciples have obviously washed by the water basin to, to have their feet washed. They kind of blow by that, but Jesus doesn't miss an opportunity to teach and to demonstrate and to model. And He does model exactly that. He begins to wash their feet. Why is that? Because to love is to serve. Jesus is going to remind us today through his word that we are to love others just as, we, just as I have loved you. So the sermon title this morning is Just As I Have Loved You. So with that in view, would you please stand up so that we can read the written word of God together. Again, the sermon title, Just As I Have Loved You. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So reads the God's holy and inerrant word. You may be seated. So in verse 34, we see right out of the gate here, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. I give to you, disciples. This is essentially Jesus' last meeting with his disciples. And there's much that Jesus could have talked about. Uh, So if there's much that he could have talked about and he's selecting a few things to talk about, we've got to pay special attention to what Jesus is saying. Pay wise attention that Jesus is giving this commandment priority status. So it's important. And all of God's word is important. It's all inerrant. But This is really going to be helpful for the disciples. Again, I'll read the whole verse again. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, for Jesus to call this a new commandment, it may seem odd to some of you who know your Bible. And why would it be odd? Because this is not the first time that the Bible commands God's people to love. It's not the first time we see that. It was through Moses that God said in Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. So is it new or is it not new? We're going to find out. So what then does Jesus mean when he said, loving one another is a new commandment? I thought J.C. Ryle said something very helpful and will help illuminate the text. Let me read it to you. It is called the new commandment, not because it had never been given before, but because it was to be more honored, to occupy a higher position, to be backed up by a higher example than it ever had been before. So this is not a new commandment. However, this is a very new situation. It's a new situation. Jesus is going to be going to the cross. We've talked about that. And Scripture teaches us in John 15, 13, there is no greater love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than the cross. So in other words, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, disciples, listen to me. Listen up, Disciples. The love that you have for one another is to be marked by the same sacrificial love that I demonstrated or will be demonstrating for you on the cross. You see, Jesus changes the game here. We see the ultimate sacrifice is to lay down your life for someone else. And that's what's being discussed here. It's taking it to another level. Something else is in play here. We'll continue to drill down on this. The cross... The cross first demonstrated the love between Jesus and His Father. Not the only time. What I mean by that, what's also happening there, we always think about ourselves, and that's a good thing because the cross certainly benefits us. But the cross first demonstrates the love between Jesus and His Father. The cross demonstrates the obedience of Jesus' his faithfulness. The cross, Jesus' vertical love of God, is proven at the cross as is his horizontal love to us. All of these things are taking place. But something new is happening. And the disciples need to know about it. So Jesus is taking the time. He's running them through what they need to know so that they can be vibrant followers, vibrant disciples. And that's why Jesus slows way down and begins to just speak to them like his kids. Just like He speaks to us. Beloved, Jesus doesn't say to His disciples, before I go, things are going to be tough and I want you to believe in yourself. That's not what Jesus says. No, Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Me. But this is impossible what I'm going to be asking you to do. And it's so impossible... That we really need to talk about such things. I've got to talk to you about where I'm going. I've got to talk to you about what things are going to be like. Like, in other words, I'm leaving. I want you to be prepared. Four times we see the word love in this text. Again, I'll read 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you that you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That That Greek word used for love, agape, indicates unselfish affection. Jesus is saying, love others, love one another, just as I have loved you. Beloved, this is something that we have to just kind of pause and chew on a little bit because we might miss what I'm getting ready to tell you. If you are a believer, if you are in Christ, let God love you. And I know that there are some people here that are really good with theology and you would be right. And you would say, well, God's going to love you whether you want to get loved or not. And that's true, I get it. But just for a moment, Sometimes we don't want God's love. We don't want nothing to do with God. Even Christians. So if we're reading this text accurately, I'm not taking literary license here to say that. Let's let God love us. Let's let God be God. Let's get out of His way. We need God. We need to be loved on. It's okay to be loved on. We need To let God love on us. And and not just talk about the cross, but to experience that great love. And to experience that great love, there's lots of ways we can do that, but sometimes we got to go back to that cross and, and go back to it one more time and spend time with the lover of your soul. We need to get into that word. Somebody would say, I've heard it said that let the word get into you. Yes, of course. Yes, let the word get into you. But you ever notice when the wheels start falling off we start getting counsel from all sorts of people. Even when we know better. We just, in our desperation, maybe for a lack of planning, maybe we're just tired, we're hurt, we just start taking advice from from anyone. Beloved, as you commune with the Father, as you let the Lord love you. Allow Him to counsel you. Allow the Word of God to counsel you. Because when that type of counseling comes, it's of the light. But remember, counsel from the world is from the darkest of minds. If they're not spiritual, if they don't know the things of the Lord, they're not going to be helpful, helpful in spiritual matters, is my point. So what is love? I mean, what is love? What what is Jesus after here besides the cross? And that's a a thing to say, besides the cross. That's like everything, right? So what is love? 1 John 4, 10 sheds light. It says this, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And then he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, this is real love. It is not our love for God. It is God's love for us that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. We need to draw near. But we know that already, don't we? And how's that going for you? I know a lot of stuff, and I know you do too. I can't even tell you how many times I've sat in a pastor's conference and heard somebody preach a message that I say, that's the best message I've ever heard. I was, if, if I just heard that guy speak and I applied three of the 30 notes that I got, it would have been well worth my time. But by the time I get to Carl's Jr., I've forgotten just about everything that he said. So it's not what we know, it's what we do with what we know, Right? Amen. God loves us, and we need to let Him love us. And here's why. I'm talking to believers here, so that you can love others. The mission statement of this church is hardly unique. It's to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. In my earlier days, I'd want something much more fancy than that. But when you get older, that just makes sense. And it summarizes the Great Commission. I might be missing a few things in there, but I think it's pretty plain. Love God, love people, make disciples. We cannot love people if we don't commune with God. We have to let Him love us. We have to be in communion with Him so that we can love others. And real love changes people. Real love. Did the real love of Christ change you? Here's how you can find out if the love of Christ changed you into a true follower of Christ. The text unfolds nicely here. Let me read 34 and 35 again. Again, think about what I just said. Here is how you can find out that the love of Christ has changed you into a true follower of Christ, or disciple. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Here it is. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if if you have love for one another. How is your love for others? How are your love levels? I know that the reserve tank can't be full for everyone in your life. That's understandable. But would you just take the time even right now and pause to take inventory on how it is that you're loving people right now? Would you start with your spouse, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, work, whoever's coming to mind, how's that going for you? Your friend, your colleague. How is your love for others going? You see, saying that I'm a disciple of Christ, and yet at the same time when there are those that will say, but I don't really like people much, or I just, I just prefer to, to keep to myself. Really what someone's saying, whether they mean it or not, and I don't, I don't want to be ugly, I want to encourage you, but I also want to be truthful. Really what's being said there is I want to wor- worship a Jesus that makes me comfortable. That's really what's being said, whether you mean it that way or not. And ultimately what we're doing here, if that would be you, is... You're creating a Jesus in your mind that is fabricated, one that you're making up. You're coming up with whatever your preference are, your preferences are or opinions, and what you've just created is a fake Jesus. But a way that we can not do such things is to just take God at His word, and know that if He's asking us to do it, know that we can. Whether we're an introvert or an extrovert, whether we're tired or not tired, I mean, we can do such things. And listen, brothers and sisters, we need to do such things. We need to do such things. You know, COVID has become a dirty word, right? And I know we got opinions all over the place on that. And I, and I got a few of myself. But let me tell you one of my greatest uh, takeaways from COVID I missed you guys, I missed my church not the same. I actually miss some of the arguments we have from time to time, (laughs) the theological ones that I don't know the answers to, but I know people that do. I miss it. I miss you. And I know that you missed me. We need each other. We need each other. Charles Spurgeon said this, we must all learn to hear what we don't like. The question is not, is it pleasant? But is it true? Yes and amen. And there's a way in which we speak to one another in love. But we need to speak to each other with grace and truth. And that's another way that we can love one another. As Ann Ortland used to say to Louise and I, Sometimes you can do God's will and not do, do it God's way. Amen. But Jesus says this back to Jesus. He says, by this, all people will know that you belong to me by the love you have for one another. I love these I am statements that the gals are going to be getting into in sisterhood. But let me just read you three. Three. And think about the context of just getting along with one another. Think about the church. James 4.1, 4.11. Do not speak evil against one another. Do not grumble against one another. James 5.9. Rather, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you might be healed. This is healthy At the end of this service, we'll have people up here praying. And not everybody that comes up is trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time or rededicating their life to Christ. There's just many that just say, Well, just pray for me. I'm hurting. It's how we do one another's. That's how we love one another. So prayer at the end of the service is not just an add-on. It's not meant to keep you here for an extra seven minutes. We need each other, it's a part of worship. So none of us can become spiritually mature if we're not committed to let others build our lives and to build the lives of others. The gospel is and always has been a community project. None of us can become or stay spiritually mature if we leave our first love. By the way, If today, you're sitting where you're sitting or online, watching online, and you're just noticing that my desire for the things of the Lord, it's just not, I'm just in a dry place. I want to encourage you. Every preacher worth his salt has been in in a dry place. Every Christian has been in a dry place. Everyone goes through it, but we don't do it alone. it's mature Christianity if we do life together so if you're noticing that your desire for the things of the Lord are distant you can get back on track today it starts with confession admitting right it starts with repentance it starts with authenticity and you you don't have to leave here today without getting that right with the Lord And tell somebody, I'm in a dry place, would you pray for me? What a beautiful thing to start before you leave here today. I can guarantee you, that person you tell will say, I've been there. I've been there. I'm on the other side of it now, but I've been there. We're going to do it together. I heard this said, so it's not my statement. But cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity says... Jesus exists for my agenda. However, genuine Christianity understands that that I or you exist for Jesus' mission. That's why we exist. Yes, the chief aim, aim of man is to glorify God, right? But we exist to be on mission. We're never going to be more healthy spiritually than when we are expanding the kingdom of God together. Now the point of today's text, and I could have just said this to you, and we could have gone home. Is simply this: is love for our fellow Christians shows the world we are disciples of Christ. That's the whole passage. That's the main idea. That's everything. So, preacher, why are you going to take 35 minutes to tell me all that? Because I want to help you and help myself on how to apply it. We'll spend some time applying it now that you have the background and those such things. We'll get to that in, in just a minute. How is your relationship with the Lord right now? How is your relationship with the people of God right now? How is it going? Next week, I'll be preaching. We're going to continue our vision series. I'm going to be preaching on discipleship. But today's passage, if you may have noticed, gives us a jumpstart on the subject of discipleship. Now, what is discipleship? It's that process where God grows us from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Spiritual growth is to be lived. It's not just a lesson to be learned. Did you know this? That the way you grow, the way we grow in discipleship is to grow in love. Preacher, did you just say that one of the ways we can grow in discipleship is to grow in love? That's what I said. Love is the centerpiece of what it means to be a true disciple or discipler of Jesus. Love is the decision to biblically pursue the well-being of another. That's what love is. Love sums up the entire Christian life. True love of God will always be accompanied by love of the people. Jonathan Edwards wrote, I believe it's impossible for a person to love God and to love others without first experiencing the grace of God in their own lives. Have you known any Christians that look like they've been sucking on lemons? Let that not be you. One writer said, obey God and just... This is so profound and so simple. Obey God and just let your feelings catch up. But Pastor, my hurts, my pain, whatever it is that's going through your mind, let me just challenge you to step out of your past and step into His presence. You want to love people? and you're having it hard. Let's get out of the past and move into the future. Let's move into His presence. In His presence is the fullness of what? Joy. So we don't need to learn more about this. We really don't. We need to do it. We need to do it. Here's how your pastor Here's how the elders, the deacons, and key leaders of this church, here is how we can begin to love one another as Christ loved us. Are you ready? Let me give you a few things. We love by forgiving each other as Christ forgave us. So when you were thinking about that person, maybe you got beef with that person. We love by forgiving each other as Christ forgave us. We love by serving one another in humility as Christ served his disciples by washing their feet. Here's a great place to practice your love and your one another's. Do it at home. Do it at work. Do it where you're at. And keep doing it. We love by generously giving to those in need from our financial and physical resources. We love by patiently bearing with one another when mistakes and immaturity manifest. We love by deferring to one another in humility and seeking their best interests above our own. We love by speaking the truth in love, not by compromising. We don't want to be fearful that they're going to be offended. We're going to speak the truth. but Remember what we talked about. We're going to do it God's way. We're going to be gentle, gracious, kind. We love by refusing to isolate ourselves. Anybody here, don't raise your hand, but are you an isolator? When it all hits the fan, you lock yourself in your room, and you turn your phone off, and you turn the lights real dim, and then you pretend like you're sick. Any of those? We love by refusing to isolate ourselves from others, but seeking relationships of love. Relationships and affirmation and encouragement in the gospel community. We love by always being willing to suffer inconveniences. And a a pastor's not favorite word, and interruptions. Guys, my heart sometimes is just wicked. I'll tell God, God, these are the things I want to get done today. I've got, I've got to talk to Ron Gallerini at 11 o'clock. I've got Wilson at a, 1 o'clock. I've got this and this. And then, like, I've barely got enough time to get things done. And here comes somebody in my office. And, they, and you know what they want to do? They expect me to love them. It's the weirdest thing. As a young pastor, I, I would say, you know, hey, can't you see? I mean, don't you see the books? They're all the dead guys. I'm reading them. (laughs) And they would say, don't really care about your books. They don't say that, but I just need you to love me. You know who taught me that? Jim Wilson. I hated it when he said that to me. (laughs) Just love them. I don't want to love them. I'm busy. I want to love them when I'm not being busy (laughs) so I can love them even better. You get the point. I'm sure that you've had a few of those people in your life as well. I'm growing in that area. You know what I call it now when you interrupt me, church? I call it a divine interruption. I had to spiritualize it. And it works. We love by not turning away from our scorning. We love by not turning away from our or scorning those who differ from us on secondary or theological matters. Someone say amen. Someone say thank you, Jesus. Secondary issues. We love by striving at all times to preserve the bond of unity of the Spirit. Let me share this. If there's any of you that likes to avoid conflict, that would probably be 90% of us, 80% of us, if that's what the statistics are, I think it's 80%. Conflict avoidance in any kind of relationship is a sign, of, it's a sign not of stability, but rather it's a symptom of a serious problem. Here's what the Bible teaches us to do. Go to your brother. Talk to them. So the right way to handle challenges or conflict within the church, assuming they're believers, is you can't, if you came to me and said, you know, I've got a problem with Sally, I've got a problem with Mike, what I need to do is take you to Matthew 18 and say, well, listen, you've got to go to your brother. You guys have got to work that out. Now, there's some things we can talk about if it doesn't work out, but for right now, start there. And God wants us to solve our own challenges because people problems are normative Christianity. And one of the ways that we can really get out front of challenges is just to do what God says and go to your brother or your sister and have a, have, a, have a conversation. By the way, have you ever known for sure that the person was dead wrong and you sat down and you found out that you were dead wrong? Don't leave me up here. But we love by praying for one another. Aren't we going to be doing it at the end of the service today? This is a way that I get to love you. Our prayer time gets to love you. And you get to love us. Above all else, we love by laboring in God's grace to enable others to enjoy Christ as their supreme treasure. In other words, we get to grow in holiness. We get to... We get to go through the sanctification process together. We get to do life together. We get to see God do wonderful things in and through our lives. But brothers and sisters, if God was only love, there would be no cross for Jesus. But because of God's great love for us, Jesus does, in fact, come to this earth on a rescue mission. That's what he was doing. And when he comes to us on this this rescue mission, he's bringing with him the only cure to a terminal disease that every man has called sin. This disease, sin, if it's not dealt with, will send every man and woman to hell. But by the grace of God, by the love of God, Jesus willingly comes to this earth. And you want to know what was happening on that cross? Jesus was taking your sins upon himself. He was innocent. But he takes your sin upon himself. And he communes your death sentence. There is no greater love than that. Well, preacher, where I come from, everybody goes to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God was so gracious and merciful that he sent his son that you can have eternal life. By what? By recognizing what Jesus did and recognizing your own sin. No one can enter the kingdom of God without repentance. No one can enter the kingdom of God without fleeing from sin. No one can enter the kingdom of God without putting our trust in Christ alone. You see, what the gospel does, it does a lot of things. Here's a few things. The gospel changes us. It transforms us. It takes us from lost to found, from wrecked to redeemed, from empty to filled with the Spirit, from captive to free, from broken to a new creation, from bankrupt to a co-heir, and from dead to alive. That's what the gospel does. Jesus did not command us to love one another and just do it relatively well. Give it a shot. He commanded us to love one another divinely well and to love as He loved. That's what the Bible says. So your takeaway today, if you go to Taco Bell, McDonald's, you go to a nice restaurant, you go home. What is going to stand out in your mind from today? What is it that God was dealing with you on? What is it that you can apply? How can the Word of God transform you today? That's the thing that we all need to get to work on. It's different for some of you, I know. But all of us can respond to this word that we heard today. Let's do that. Let's not be legalistic about it. Let's just know that our if we're in Christ, the Lord loves us. But if we're not in Christ, there's empty, there's enmity between us. If you don't know the Lord, you need to get right. You need to repent your faith in Christ. When that happens, he'll give you a new heart with new desires. You'll be able to do all the things I just talked about. You won't do it perfectly, but you'll be able to do it. Here's why. Because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. You see these disciples as I close, they, they love Jesus. Judas didn't, I, I get that, but there's, there's 11 others. They're missing their friend. What's, all this is happening so fast. He's leaving after three years of ministry by walking around. They had access to Jesus, and now he's got this other plan. And they're perplexed. And then he'll tell them, got something better for you, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that when we talk about discipleship. For now, I'll just let that simmer. Many of you know what that means. And if you do, praise God. And if you don't, we'll get into it.